Well, this was a delightful change of plans. We have like a list of things we need to talk about. We there. do. We have some we have some housekeeping <laughs> to do. Housekeeping. Uh, wait, what is it? Is this what episode is this? <laughs> this is running the thirteenth, December third, lucky thirteen. Um, and then we so we have two more episodes, three more episodes technically before the end of the year. There's this one. Yeah. The next week is holiday romance. Everybody sure. get ready. I have read some truly filthy books. In- Me too. I mean, I really feel like erotic romance is going above and beyond here this year. <laughs> like, listen, there's only two speeds of Christmas, Hallmark and fucking around. Yeah, but did you hear, and I should probably save this for next week's episode, but whatever, I'm going to do it now. Did you see that like, Lifetime has put a sex scene in one of the movies this year. I have not watched it. I'll, I I don't get Lifetime. I don't have cable, so oh, I'm not. Listen, you guys, I'm not one of those of people who doesn't have TV. I just we cut the cord like 15 years ago, so I just buy all the shows I want to watch. The irony is, is we have all of every channel that possibly could stream into your house. We have because Mr. Reed's Romance likes sports. That's right. See, Mr. Uh, McLean does not like sports. <laughs> you mean Eric? Oh, right. Okay. Everyone knows who that is. Eric is like, not a sports person. We watch Ted Lasso. We can save this for banter, but uh, here's what's important. You guys, we did the best of the year episode this year. We were so excited. We picked some real bangers um, for the box. There is a box that you can get, the Fate of Mates 2023 Best Romance of the Year box. You can get it from Pocket Bookshop, a queer, feminist, woman-owned, anti-racist bookshop in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. They are an independent bookseller that loves romance and proudly displays romance right inside the door when you get there. You don't have to go hunting. It's not in the back corner. Um, And the owners of Pocket Bookshop have very generously offered to put together the Fate of Mates book box this year. Um, So you can get seven of the books on the list. They are, they range um, from mass market historicals to um, trade contemporaries. And then you can also supplement the box with um, some additional picks that we have for the year. The indie published books that are on the list, you can get those in print if you would like to supplement them, supplement the box with them. Um, We have... listed a bunch of books that came out this year from Friends of the Pod. Um, and of course, you can get books by me that are signed by me yeah. um, from Pocket Books also. So uh, the first hundred books, which um, we might be sort of coming up on the end of this this batch, but if you are one of the first hundred people to purchase the box, you'll get the book signed or at least with signed books, book plates. And um, it's a great gift. Listen, yeah. like we've missed Hanukkah at this point. We, you obviously, yeah. we are currently, we are recording right now during Hanukkah, so uh, you won't be able to get it for Hanukkah. But if you order it very quickly this week, you'll, you might be able to get it before the holiday, before Christmas. You definitely can. I think the fifteenth is the cutoff date, if I'm correct. Cool. So you have two days to do that. And um, it's a fun box. It's a great box for a romance reader in your life. It's a great box to ask. Listen, I am right now just basically begging all the people in my life who I love to tell me what they want. I know that's like not the best way, but it is where I'm at this year. So like, if you want this, give do someone in your life a solid, someone in your life is like me and is like, what does, what do they want? That all I want to know is what they want. Tell them you want this box. Um, and then, or you can get it and then do what I do every year, which is get it and then split it up 
and put, give different people different books and just say, I'm very happy to welcome you to the romance world. I'm super excited. Mine's coming soon. So, so that's that. Thanks to Pocket Books for putting yeah. together the box. Um, thanks to all of you who have already bought it. Uh, it supports authors and uh, independent booksellers and romance readers. Um, and yeah. we throw in Fate of Made stickers and there's a letter from us. Yeah. So you should definitely order that. Um, and, okay, here's another fun thing we are doing, which is... If you are a, a member of the Discord. What's that, Jen? <laughs> this sounds like Sarah. Okay, so everybody, <laughs> we have a Discord, um, which is essentially you can join our Patreon. There are a couple of things we do, like, for all of our listeners. And you can, everyone can get in at the same price, either just, like, whatever works for your budget. But we have um, a monthly Banter Plus episode where we just banter. Um just like us bullshitting, basically. Um, mm-hmm. Then we have a Discord, which is a really fun place to talk about romance with other Faded Mates listeners. So all the magnificent firebirds who like to talk about romance get in there. It is a fast-paced, fast-moving place. Boy, it moves quick. There are like a hundred channels. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, we should add them. You know what I mean? Like yeah, people sure. will be like, hey, can we have a, a, you know, this channel or that channel? Uh, this week I haven't done it yet, but I thought it would be really funny. I was like, we should make a channel called Yuck My Yum, where you just go in and like talk about books that you are like, I, everyone loves this book, but I hate it. <laughs> oh, but, I don't think okay. we're really going to do that, everybody. But I, <laughs> sometimes in my brain, wish that place existed. I mean, I know you do, but it's really our text thread and nowhere else. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So anyway, um, it is really fun. And then we also have sometimes like author chats that we do. Um, at our On our last episode, we had talked about how craft is not something we often talk about on the podcast. Um, and someone was like, maybe you guys could do it. In the Patreon, like have little chats, just the two of us, where we talk about craft. I was like, oh, that's a great idea. We can sure do that. Yeah. So we're always kind of trying to come up with new ideas. And our next new idea is next Monday, the 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern, we are going to have a um, Jen Jen and Sarah on YouTube. We're going to be talking about just like taking people's questions and you'll be able, it'll be kind of... um, I don't know what's it called when you're just like watching us. We can't get a Zoom big enough to get everyone in there. So it'll be like a uh, webinar, webinar style. But people can comment and ask questions and we'll like shout people out. We'll do as much as we can to like keep everybody engaged in the conversation. So that is next Monday, December 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern. You have to be a member of the Patreon in order to access it. Um, which, but there are lots of different levels. There's nothing special about the like higher levels or the lower levels. Everybody, we are democracy yeah. here at Fate of Mates. <laughs> Everybody has access to the, to the same stuff. Um, and you can even just join for a month and then cancel your subscription if you want to just, you know, join for that. But the, dis- the, the Patreon is very fun and we are in discussion right now for our Patreon gift for 2024 and i'm excited about it yeah speaking of gifts eric was like someone could give like a year of patreon like the faded mates patreon to a friend as a gift so if you have a good gift yeah if you have a faded mates friend and you know you're they're like oh i don't do it or whatever maybe that would be a fun thing to do for them so anyway and other patreons by the way not just us i mean that might be a fun thing to do yeah there are also 
All the romance podcasts have Patreons. A lot of our favorite writers have Patreons. Rebecca Romney was saying on um, Twitter this week that she is maybe thinking about doing one where she talks about rare book collecting. And oh, I was like, so hello, fun. I would join that. So I love it. So those might other be, look, fun gift ideas just f- coming your way from our brains. So I'm that excited. I think is the end of housekeeping. Is that correct, Sarah? There were two, two things on housekeeping. Three. Yeah, that's it. Those are the things. So order the book pack. Come hang out with us on Monday on the Patreon. Um, I don't know. Tell us what you're reading. If you're reading something real dirty for the holiday episode, you can sneak that into our Rex. Yeah, big time fun. Okay, I mean, it doesn't have to be real dirty. It could just be, just be a, whatever. A, whatever you're reading that seems yes. like a good holiday. Maybe we should do that. If you have a holiday book that you've read or really loved and we have not talked about it in the past or you don't know if we've talked about it in the past, shoot us a DM on Twitter or on or or on uh Instagram and maybe we'll do some we'll do some recs from listeners. Yeah, that would uh, be so fun as part of the episode. Give us a one sentence like recommendation too. All right, so I guess we should say welcome to Faded Mates everyone. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. And I'm Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and editor. And this week we are going to talk about a classic dragon <laughs> shifter book. Well, we should talk about why yeah. we decided to do this. And it yeah. is because all you uh, girlies are really into dragons these days. You've all read that dragon book. What's Fourth it called? Wing, Fourth Sarah, is what it's Thank called. Thank you. <laughs> It's like fourth wave. Uh, dragons are very hot right now, Jen. Dragons are super hot right now. And I think that we'll be seeing more of them. Yes. There's a new Kit Roka book that's a dragon book. Um, yeah. Sophie Jordan just sold an adult book in within the world of her wife Firelight series uh, to Avon. And that's coming out in the summer or maybe even maybe September of next year of 2024. Um, there are a number of dragon books that seem to be like percolating that we'll be yeah. seeing over the next year or 18 months. Maybe Cressley will finally bring us Uther. Oh my God. I want that <laughs> so bad. All I want is for like some human to bring him back from. Sure. You And you know the way Cressley would do it. It would not be, it would not be a magic person it would not be an immortal it would be a right a human a human real crispy sorry (laughs) (laughs) anyway but when i think of dragon romance and dragon books in general i don't think of game of thrones i think and i don't think of fourth wing i think of this book dragon bound uh thea harrison's what I believe is like the Ahara, the best book of this series. It is such a banger. It's so fun. Um, and it really scratches every itch from like of paranormals, road trips. Like she nails every yes. single yeah. trope she is dealing with. Yeah. I, I think that's when I was uh, rereading it this week was kind of thinking the same thing. Like I think the first time we talked about it was when we did our road trip interstitial back in season one. Mm-hmm. Occasionally we will mention it, but we've never done a deep dive. But we Sarah was like, listen, dragons are really big right now. Now now is the time. Strike well, what I want hot. for everybody who is like, I read Fourth Wing and I really enjoyed it. Or like, I read Fourth Wing and I don't get it. Like, I yeah. thought I loved dragons, but, like, this didn't work for me on a number of levels. Like, no matter how you felt about that book, 
um, if dragons feel right to you, yeah, this is where you should go next. Though you should skip the epigraph. <laughs> so wait, do you, did you get the epigraph? Because the Kindle app, the Kindle app opens after the epigraph. Oh, I don't think I have. Which so is a you... quote from Donald Trump. Woof. That's I mean, rough. it predates everything. Sure, of course it does. Listen, we didn't know then. <laughs> we, we thought he was just a guy in Home Alone too. <laughs> and then something else happened. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, one of the things that I think was interesting, what, one of the things I think is really interesting about dragons in general mm. is kind of like, why did, who decided that like dragons are like the alpha of all the shifters, right? Mm-hmm. Is it just like size? Is it the fact that they can shoot fire? I mean, like they're so possessive and jealous of their horde. Oh, I mean, I like I think it. it's, I think it's just like really interesting to think about it because like when you're little, it's like Puff the magic dragon. Dragons are like cute, right? But are they though? Because like they are also breathe fire and are a giant and like. I guess. I don't also, know. Also, isn't Puff the Magic Dragon like a reference to acid know. or like some oh, kind come of something? On. It's a children's book. He just lives by the sea. Doesn't that seem nice? <laughs> Puff the Magic Dragon lives by the sea. I mean, His come name on. Is Puff. I'm pretty sure it's a drug <laughs> reference, but we'll get back <laughs> to you on that. Check, it's, check show notes. <laughs> it's his fire breath. Puff. Oh, oh my God. Listen, but that Peter, Paul, and Mary song, those they well, were they were definitely for, stoners. Of course. <laughs> of course they were. Of course they were. So yeah, I mean that's the part I think that's like really interesting about dragon shifters, right? Is oh, wait, like, pause. Yeah. Little Jackie Paper. This is absolutely a drug song, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Does that uh, start out as a children's book? Is it a, was it a song first? No, it's a song. It's a Peter, Paul, and Mary song. Jesus. Okay, fine. Uh, wait, well, I'm learning. Now I'm on the. Pe- we're gonna no. link to the. We're linking to the Wikipedia article. We're just. It's important that we get the facts straight. We are. Oh, Wikipedia. We are nothing. Facts straight, everybody. Oh boy. <laughs> so I'm just saying anything could happen in Wikipedia. I will say on Wikipedia. Wikipedia. This is in the speculation about drug references, but it doesn't feel like it's speculation if the other character is. Rolling. Yes. Jackie sure. Paper. <laughs> rolling, rolling. Um, oh, listen, I'm just going to read a sentence from it. After the song's initial success, speculation arose as early as a 1964 article in Newsweek <laughs> that song con- that the song contained veiled references to smoking marijuana. The word paper in the name of Puff's human friend, Jackie Paper, was said to be a reference to rolling papers. The words by the sea were interpreted interpreted <laughs> as by the sea, the letter C as in cannabis. The word mist stood for smoke and the land of Hanali stood for hashish and the dragon was interpreted as dragon, i.e., Inhaling smoke. Listen. Listen, later on today, I'm also going to play a record backwards. <laughs> this was, you guys, this was like when okay. we were kids. There was all this speculation about like what things really meant. And you could play records backwards right, and like dead. hear them. Yeah, exactly. And now like Harry Styles plays words backwards and it's just like. Wah, wah, wah. Well, Missy Elliott famously. Sure. So anyway, I don't know. I guess I should have. Now, of course, it would be like Puff the Magic Edible. Less right? fun. Like, less fun. See, Lumi Labs is not, is not <laughs> sponsoring this episode. Too bad. It would, I would have been like the perfect segue. It really would have been perfect. They've wanted us to have a perfect segue for an entire year, and here we are. Damn it. Okay. Anyway, dragons. Dragons. Yeah. Listen, so let's be clear. 
dragons are hot. <laughs> like, they just are. They're big and scaly. That's basically, yeah. it's not men in fur. It's men nope. in, like, leather. <laughs> and, sure. Maybe this is why people have aliens. And listen, it's just like a step book, down. When we the- first see his, when she first sees his dragon, and she's like, "Oh my god!" And then he, he leans his head down, yeah, and like <laughs> stares at her with his like lava eye. Yeah, I mean, combustible, <laughs> combustible. All right, so why are the- they hot? I don't know. That's I how we got here. I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying that's what I'm questioning. Like, who decided? Were there dragon books before this one? Can you think of other dragon shifters? Dragon shifters. I really can't. No, but, you know, I mean, that because mean they don't like exist. The, but... sort of the wolf, the lion, like the big yeah. cats. Sure. Right. This I mean, like... I guess this is like my feeling about this book, though. And I feel like the uh, really, um, I feel like there is, she has like an innate sense in this book of like, why romance is unmatched yeah. in the sense that. She just, it's very go big or go home kind of book. Like All of it. All of it. And I was thinking as I was reading it, because this is the first of a series of books all about the same, like this character, this world of characters, right? The, mm-hmm. the elder races books that unlike the rest of us who often save the kind of like big, yeah, most powerful creature for the last book in the series. Yeah. She starts with it. She begins not only she begins with two incredibly powerful characters. Like yeah, she could the the reveal of Pia's like true identity is yeah. like no joke. I mean, we'll get there. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil it. Right, like we'll get there. Essentially, my feeling about this book is very much. She sat down and she said, I'm going to write a shifter book. The first shifter is going to be the biggest shifter I can think of. Yeah. Um, and then the heroine is going to be the biggest thing I can think of. Well, and so this is 2011. I mean, this book is old. <laughs> you know what I it mean? It is old. And there are moments in it where you're like, oh, that's a thing that wouldn't be in here. Well, there are a couple times that there were, like, there, I had that feeling a couple times, of course. But the other thing I thought, like, the pacing is really different. Yep. Um, there's one part where he's, like, he keeps calling her, like, a good girl. And she's, like, that's sexist instead of being, like, woo, hot, mm-hmm. which is what it would be now. Like, things like that made me laugh. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it really is sort of—so, brief plot, everybody, which is—it um, starts off with Pia. She's our heroine. And she's in big trouble. She has been blackmailed into stealing something from Dragos's horde. And he is not just like a powerful shifter, dragon shifter. He has essentially been around since like the Big Bang. Like kind of this the way is, it's described, right? Okay, so before we even get here, can we just say like, I really believed this book started completely differently. Like in my head. Oh, interesting. I believed that we began with Pia... Actually, like that, we saw her. Oh yeah, no, stealing she's, it. She's but coming like, out. Yeah, yeah. And so, and I do love the very. But now that I on the reread, I was like, oh shit, this is a great beginning because it begins mm-hmm. with him being like he's been around since the universe began. Yes. Like, which again, go big or go home. Like, yeah, right. What like my rune is ten thousand years old, but he hasn't been around since the, uni- the universe began. <laughs> I know Everyone, that's a different that's a different rune than the one in this book. That's yeah, that's a rune yeah. from season one. Yeah, 
So, I mean, that's the part I was like kind of reading again, right? Where he had to like learn, you know, not to eat things that could talk. <laughs> right? <laughs> He's like... I that, just, you it know, is a funny book, too. There are very funny it moments in really it. Really, I agree. I would definitely agree. And so he, anyway, so the the book opens with, I mean, essentially Pia is in, like, real fucking hot shit. Like, hot water. She's been blackmailed into stealing from his horde. By a and dick boyfriend. By an ex-boyfriend who she kind of, like, stole, like, told some of her secrets, essentially, which, one of which is, like, I like, I can open any lock. Like, locks can't keep me out. I, I think they were drunk, and she didn't really think he believed her, and she kind of was like, I hope he forgot. Well, he did not forget, because he's in trouble with, like, his bookie and owes a lot of people a lot of money. And she realizes, like, it's really interesting. So she's, like, been forced to do this thing, but she also very much realizes that he is going to keep talking. Like, this is not going to be the end of it for her. So what we see her really first doing is going to a witch and buying a binding spell that she's going to force him to read that says, like, he won't reveal anymore. And so she essentially, like, blackmails him right back. And the thing that he is after, right, the reason he agrees to it is she's like, I'm not going to give you what I stole out of the horde until you read this thing. And he thinks it's going to be, like, jewels or something awesome. (laughs) And she stole a penny. And she left one in return with a little note <laughs> that was like, sorry, it's I took your penny. A, such a clever idea. Honestly. It's, it's so, so great. Elegant in the writing. Like, this, the concept is so smart. Yeah. She writes him a note, and she leaves him a penny in return, and he still <laughs> loses his mind. It's so great. <laughs> This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Rochelle Weinstein, author of What You Do To Me. Okay, so this really sounds very cool. This one is for anybody who loves a book that's told in two time in two timelines. This one also has two love stories. It's a little, it really has Taylor Jenkins read vibes for me. Um, the main character, Cecilia James, is a journalist for Rolling Stone and a real sucker for a love song, for a 90s love song. And there is this like very, very famous 90s love song written by a rock star, Eddie V., and um, there are some questions around who he'd written it for and what it was about, because it was pretty tragic. Um, Cecilia gets the scoop, though, and she finds out that it's about this woman, Sarah Friedman. And though Sarah Friedman and Eddie V are both kind of recluses now and never give interviews and are not public in right. any way, uh, Cecilia finds them and convinces them to tell them, to tell her their story. Um, So there is that as this kind of past storyline. But what's happening in the present is Cecilia is reckoning with her own romance, current romance, her own life, what she wants out of it, and what love means to her these days. Which is so great. I think that this, like, multi-layered effect can be really appealing. Um, And I think everyone loves sort of, like, a tragic love story made right again. This is actually... Uh, a reimagining of a happier ending to the plain white tea song, Hey There Delilah, which is a very core romance memory, music memory for me. Uh, what You Do To Me is available in Kindle Unlimited, in print and in audio. And in fact, as a bonus for our listeners this week, we have an audio excerpt of What You Do To Me that we'll be playing at the end of the episode. We'll remind you when we get there. Um, thank you to Rochelle Weinstein for sponsoring this week's episode. Okay, we said we weren't going to talk about craft, but I want to say something, like a little something, which is 
when I'm reading now or when I'm editing, sometimes people have a really great like starting point, right? Like they know if I start here, this is going to be great. But you still have to like know how your characters got there. You still have to be curious about how they got there and how they would respond to being there and, like, how they would clean up the mess that that they're making. And I think that's the other thing that's so brilliant about this book is by starting with her, like, coming out instead of going in, Mm -hmm. right, it's it's, the horde itself is never important in this book. Mm -hmm. Like, it's only important that someone stole from. Him. And yeah. he basically, this he like <laughs> like bursts out of his like tower, and he well he causes he millions roars of dollars worth of damage so loud that he like shatters the windows <laughs> yes. in skyscrapers in across Midtown, Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. A man has feelings. Every <laughs> um. Throughout the book, there are these moments where they watch the news, like the news mm-hmm. is on in the background, and it's always like some like single mom who's like, "Now, how am I going to pay for my, my therapy? I'm so upset." <laughs> yes, you can fix whatever, but who's going to pay for it's my therapy? So funny, yeah, it it's is really really fun. Um, so, so mm-hmm. so she's just like determined to get out of town. She knows he's going to come find her, and he is determined to find her. Right, and so then it's like the game is on. Here's what I'll say. So initially, right, he's like, someone has been, you know, sleeping in my bed, right? And like, (laughs) and so he finds it. He finds the receipt that says, I'm sorry. Like, (laughs) I took your penny, but here's one to replace it. He loses his mind. Meanwhile, I'm sorry to interrupt you. smell her on it, though. Yes, right. And he, (laughs) okay, wait, I'm sorry. You want to keep going on the receipt, but the part that's really funny later about the penny is he's like, you took a 1964 penny and left me a 1975 penny. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. It's so good. It's so it, good. Yeah. <laughs> so um, go ahead. He's No, but he seat. can smell her on this receipt. And it's like in classic romance fashion, right? Scent is everything. Scent yeah. and eye color. Every, <laughs> as everybody notices everything. And he can smell her on it. And he's instantly like, I have to have her. Like, not yeah. like, and he can't, he doesn't really have a good reason for it. He's just like, yeah. there's something about this part. It's not, I don't want vengeance. I want yeah. this person. This, yeah. Well, and he's this then, creature. we see him from the beginning acting really secretive with this little piece of paper. Like, he keeps it to himself. He doesn't and show it to anyone else. He screams at a servant to bring him a Ziploc bag, but he doesn't he, know what they're called. Yeah, he goes into the kitchen and is like, I've seen them on TV. Like, little plastic bags with zippers. You put food in them. They're like, Ziploc? It's so fucking funny. I mean, honestly, I left more of in this book than I yeah, do a lot of it's things great. labeled rom-com. So, Pia is in the wind and she is, she knows she is screwed. So she knows she has to run. She knows that it's only a matter of time before he gets, he tries to find her. And here's what we, here's what Pia knows about herself. Um, She knows she's a half, a half blood. Like she knows like there is some amount of magic being in her. We know she has a mother, but Thea is very careful about not giving her too, giving us too much information about her mother. And we know that her mother basically said to her, like, here are some rules. You can never bleed. Like, yeah. No one can ever have access to your blood. 
Um, no one can ever know your true name. Like uh, all creatures of these like elder races, like all magical creatures have two names. They have like right. their regular name and their, their, their name in the real world. And then like this like private right. name, but names have power, which is, you all know that I believe this intuit- in instinctively. instinctively. Um, so she, we know she's not allowed to tell anybody her real name because if she does, they'll have control over her. And we know that um, she's very fast. So she's yeah. like, I can get in, like, I can, I'll be okay. Like, I just need to get gone. Right. So she goes to a witch, very smartly, she goes to a witch to get a binding spell for this terrible ex-boyfriend to basically make it so that he can never, ever, ever talk about her right. in any way ever again. Right. And uh, so that happens. And then she goes to an old buddy, like her boss, mm-hmm. who is also like el- an elf something, or like something. But it's like not real polite it's, to like poke at what people are, right? Right, right. And he's like, you're in trouble. Go to this place in right. the Carolinas. And it's safe territory for you. Right, because she kind of figures out that it's related. It's related. And Dragos, so uh, the place he gives her the key to, this, like, beach house of his, is in, like, the elves' territory. And Dragos cannot go there without, like, breaking a bunch of treaties. he has a treaty with the elves. Right. So, you know, he can't, because he's weird, essentially. So, anyway, she, the the other part that's really interesting, that's, like, kind of well established at the beginning is the other thing her mother has like trained her to do is essentially like get out of Manhattan fast. And so she has like fake, like she has go bags all over town with like money and fake IDs. And, you know, very quickly she is essentially like, okay, I have three new identities and a hundred grand and I am going to be able to like disappear Mm -hmm. because I've been practicing my whole life for this. And she's, uh, you know, the other part that's, Really interesting is she's really angry at herself for trusting yeah. the ex-boyfriend. She made a, with, she made a she, error yeah, in judgment. She, yeah, and she forgot all the things her mom had taught her. Right. But she's lonely. She's lonely, right? So she takes herself to uh, the Carolinas. She gets there. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dragos has, like, <laughs> sent his... Minions off to a Seven Eleven to find Twizzlers and Cherry Slurpees because that's what that's, she. But that's what's on the receipt in her pocket, <laughs> which is his, hilarious. His men are like, "Boss, are you sure? <laughs> You've so, never really liked sweets." <laughs> they're like trying to figure out. So basically, they're working. They're working on all of that, and then, um, so she gets herself to the beach, and she goes to sleep. And she suddenly, like, in in sleep, yeah. has a visitation <laughs> uh, from this very charming man yeah. who we now discover has, because he is, was born with the earth itself, like, yeah. discover, we discover that he has this very useful skill, which is that he can visit you in your dreams and, like, basically compel you to do stuff by, like, promising you whatever it is you want the most of. Right, like, right. So he'll give you a dream that feels very real where, like, you're surrounded by jewels or you, mm-hmm. like, have a pile of kittens or whatever right. it is that you want most in the world. He can deliver it to you in your dreams. Well, surprising both of them, what Pia wants most in the world 
is just to be rogered very well. <laughs> so I have a question for you about yeah. this scene, which is, did you read it that way? Or did you read it that, like, he misinterpreted her longing to, like, belong? Yes. Right? For love. Yes. Like, he kind of misreads. She wanted. I, she wants to be, like, held yeah. and loved and protected and loved. Yeah. But also, she, I mean, like... Sure. I, mean, I think Pia also misinterprets what she actually wants in that scene and is like, this is great. Yeah, okay. I wasn't and expecting listen, this. No notes. It is great. What a stress dream to have. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is, is that in the midst of all, like, while he is compelling her, he is finding her. Right, exactly. And he is pressuring her, like, what's your, tell me your real name, essentially. And she's like, no. And it kind of breaks the spell. And he is like, that's never happened before. So he, of course, is even more determined to find her. It's so, so classic. And I know it's such a cliche, but I love it. No, put it in my veins, I right? Love it. So she's out walking on the beach. The one who I cannot control. Yeah. And I she must have her. I must have her. And she looks up and she, like, sort of sees something in the sky. A light. A light. And then, like, it looks like it's shimmering. (laughs) And then a dragon lands on her. (laughs) Cages her, her, like, to the beach, to the sand. You know what else I thought was really smart about this? Like, pacing-wise, I think there is a a real—he finds her pretty fast. Yeah, it's very quick. It's like 15% of the way through. It's yeah. done. Like, now they're together. Now they're together. And I feel like this is another thing that I remember, that I was thinking was really smart. Like, this is not a book about him chasing her, right? Mm-hmm. That's all just the inciting incident, because now they're together, and now they're, all their adventures will be together. Mm-hmm. And I found myself really thinking that I think a lot of authors would have been tempted to draw that out, right? To draw mm-hmm. out the chase of her. But he's oh the most he's been around since the Big Bang. He's gonna fucking find her, right? Yeah. Well, and, so, and he has a great yeah. witch. Like, I mean, like, yeah. There's just there's no this man has can Every, can do anything. Yeah. yeah. So what we need to see very quickly is like I think I think this is really smart pacing too, but I also think it's really, really clever character work, right? Because what we see is Dragos is incredibly powerful. Like yes. in we see that, like, there is nobody, this Pia, this person who, like, no lock can hold her, like, there is, you know, she has these these really remarkable powers. She's incredibly fast. She's so savvy. She's so well-trained. Like, she she is a survivor, right? Like, right. this is a run-posy-run situation, right? Yes. And so we are instantly committed to her because she is so qualified to run. And she's, he finds her in seconds, right? Yeah. So... It also tees it up for what is about to happen, right? Like there is, so we are now like, okay, well, what's the story? If he can yes. find her anytime, like where are we going from here? Yeah, it's super and smart. Thea Harrison then like shows you that we are going into this like wide open world because they get into the house. To, so they go back to her beach house and she's a vegetarian, very clever, <laughs> right? So she's like, yeah. I can't feed you. Like, right. I I'm don't sure you're hungry. Have, you flew all this way. Yeah, I don't have it because now she's like, "Well, I have to, I have to be nice to him because he is now he he's going to rend me. me." 
<laughs> right? Like he has very sharp claws and very sharp teeth. And and he breathes fire, by the way. Right? And he's very mad at me. He is furious, yeah, he's right? he's very, very angry. So, but also we kind of banged earlier, so I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and I think she thinks the only thing really keeping her, <clears throat> her alive is his curiosity. Yeah. Right? It, he needs to know how she did it. And then it's lights out for her. Exactly. So she's like, okay, now my job is to draw this out as long as right. possible. So she calls this number to an right. elven restaurant. And she... he, th- Yeah, he thinks she's calling a restaurant for like 12 porterhouse right. steaks. But she's secretly calling... Essentially, her friend was like, if you get into trouble, use this 800 Call this number, number right? right? So she calls the number and she says, I need 12 porterhouse steaks sent to this address. Do you deliver here? And the person on the other end of the line is like, yes, we're very familiar with that address. And then she hangs up and boom. Well, what she says is like, Dragos, is it... She, she says his she name. She his name. And the you know she hears the <gasps> from yeah. like the other side like she's giving hints right yeah yeah so she boom twelve elves like this is like Legolas shit like yeah, right. they turn up it's it's you know whatever uh what's his name what's that Legolas actor's name I don't know handsome man yeah that blonde blonde guy <laughs> um he they turn up like Legolas they all have like like fancy poison bows. And poison, poison arrows, and they shoot before anybody has yeah. any time to think. They they shoot Dragos with a magic arrow that immediately removes his ability to shift into a dragon. Yep, temporarily. So this so is perfect, yeah. right? So now we have seen this character. At the full height. Like, he has roared so loud he has ruined Manhattan. hmm And then he has found this unfindable person. Yeah. And all in the first, like, 15% of the book. And now, with one arrow, we have right. removed his ability to turn into, like, his highest level of, like, his most powerful level. Right. Right. So he's like, Fuck. The yeah. elves are like, you have betrayed a treaty. You have, whatever, 12 hours, 12 hours to get out or else. Now, this is when you start to realize maybe he's not that worried about it because he's like, all right, Pia, let's go in and take a nap. You seem tired. And you're like, wait, you only have 12 hours. <laughs> well, for what it's worth, he does. He is used to right. driving a Bugatti and he has to drive a Honda Civic. <laughs> also humiliating for him at every level. Everything is humiliating. <laughs> so they finally, like, you know. She, he has to take off his shirt because it's all bloody. I mean, it's more <laughs> comfortable that way. Obviously. <laughs> and then, but what's really charming about this is she never falls into the, like, I feel like right now there is an enemy. We have an em- enemies to lovers problem in romance. Yes. Which is just like, it's not really enemies. It's just people who are shitty to each other. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so, and like, that's not the same as enemies. No. Like, but no. these two... Like, there is a kind of, there is a vibe between them of, like, clear, ener- ener- like, enemy energy, but yeah. they actually really like hanging out with each other. Like yeah. They have well, really great conversations, and it's yeah. fun to read. It is fun to read. And she's, like, the only person who, I mean, I think she's, like, whatever, you're going to kill me anyway, so I might as well just, like, be my regular self. Like, she's kind of mouthy, and she, like, doesn't put up with this bullshit. And, like, of course, instead of thinking it's annoying, he's, like, totally enamored with her, right? Like, no one ever talks to me this way, right? I mean, it really—you guys listen. It's, like, 
It's so perfect, though. Like, it's all the stuff you love, but it's, like, perfectly done. Right. And what's really cool about it is you instantly see that, like, here is a romance hero who has been laid low from the jump. Yeah. And it's great. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Carly Lane, author of A Regency Guide to Modern Life. This is possibly the most perfect gift for the Regency or historical romance lover in your life. And what I mean by that is not even just the Regency or historical romance lover in your life. If you have somebody in your life who like loves Jane Austen or thinks Bridgerton is the greatest show ever, but like doesn't read romance novels, this is the thing you should wrap up and put under the tree for them. Um, It is an advice book written from the perspective of Lady A, an expert in all things Regency, a lady who is writing to you with advice through time. Um, So, like, let's say that you have been uh, singled out by an insufferable rake. Maybe he has (laughs) sent you a dick pic of some kind. Um, Lady A's got you covered. She is going to, she's going to make sure that you swipe right on only the most venerable of gentlemen. Um, But she's got you for relationship woes, for work drama, for group chat snafus. She's going to cover all the modern problems with a Regency twist in advice. Yeah, this is a great present, we think, and a really fun book full of humor and just like kind of that like warm, fuzzy feeling if you like love romance and you want to sort of like have things that are adjacent to it. This is so perfect. Um, and also we just love Carly. She she's is so fun. She's super fun. She's on social media and she is a reporter on entertainment and TV and media for Collider. So thanks to Carly for sponsoring this week's episode. So they leave in the in the Honda. They get kidnapped by goblins. It doesn't go very fast. It doesn't go very then fast. Then they are in a car accident, which is not, of course, an accident. It's an intentional thing. Goblins have come to collect. Yeah, they've been warned. Right, Dragos. essentially, Dragos will be will be you because know. he's in a fight with someone else. Yeah. The so what? King he's... of the Fae. Yes, the Dark Fae. So, yeah, he basically is like, look, I am now putting all these little pieces together. And the people who set you up to do this were, like, testing something. Like, I'm really the what they're after. You are just kind of collateral damage. Now the goblins are going to, you know, try to get me in. Yeah, now they have a—well, now they have a penny that belonged to him so they can use us—they can spell him. Yeah, and that's the one thing that's Pia really kind of kicks herself. She's like, I'm so stupid. Why did I—I could have given him anything. Like, why didn't I think— you know, yeah. to just give him something and tell them it was from this, right? Mm-hmm. So her feeling then is one of guilt for a lot of it. Like, if I, I never, I'm the one who kind of put all this in motion. Right. And, you know, and I, I like, I like that. I like that she could see her own, like, culpability and responsibility. Like, she knew she was pressured to do certain things, but she could also identify her own mistakes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And... So, you know, the goblins. So the goblins, I love that. As you know, I love yeah. a, I love a torture chamber. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me, you guys, but this podcast, if it has taught me anything, <laughs> it has taught me that I really enjoy watching people be tortured, like heroes and heroines be tortured and things and well, get out of it. In this case, too, what we love about it is Dragos is like, look, the, you're not going to be under any sexual harm. They're not. Yeah, she removes women. that right away. Right away, which I thought was smart. Um, 
But, you know, goblins aren't into humans, is what yeah. we are told. Right. And he, so, he, you know, he's like, they're gonna, they're gonna try and hurt you in front of me to see if I react. So I'm not gonna react. Right. Like, I'm just gonna put my game face on. And they do. They hurt her. They do. And sh- and he does not react. And, and we're and, in clever POV usage here. We're in her POV when they're hurting her. Yeah. And then it switches to him and he is hot with well, rage. <laughs> yeah, of course. And you know what it is? It's really interesting. I think this is the part where she starts to really use or like in a way that's clearer um, that the times like the dragon is in charge versus the time that Dragos as a human mm-hmm. is in charge. Right. And so it's like at that moment, he's like the dragon. I mean, and so, you know, of course, no lock and holder. They throw in this cage and she just like gets up and walks yeah, out. Once she's his room. able to walk up. It's so smart. It's so and smart. It's so clever. Like it's so, it just removes a whole layer of like nonsense. Like yes. she just walks around. Yeah. She goes to him. He's in uh, mystical chains. He's bewitched. And it's great because, like, the minute he sees her, all of a sudden he, like, comes back online. Yep. Right? And he's like, come here, be with me. Like, are you okay? Like, it's really sweet. There's, like, it is. if you're, like, a caretaking re- in romance person, like, if you can suffer through the goblin yeah. attack, this is a really lovely scene because he's yeah. basically just like, are you okay? Like, I'm yeah. worried about you. Yeah. So, um... Oh, wait, but I didn't say this. It During the car accident, so they get into the car accident, and she is bleeding. Mm-hmm. And she says, I can't bleed. Yeah. And this is the first clue, I think, on the first read that I had where I was like, oh, I know what she is. Um, And so, but only because, you know, I've read books before. Okay. Like, well, like, I have, and like I fantasy, had no idea. I didn't like, know what it was like going to be. Like childhood yeah. fantasy books. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so she's she's like, I can't bleed. I can't bleed. You can't. Like, we have to burn all these clothes. Yeah. And so he, like, and he's pissed because he's like, well, you're not going to be naked. Like, Yeah, right. So he tears with his teeth the bloody parts of the clothes off her. So she's, like, now in, like, rags, rags. Sure. (laughs) So hot. (laughs) So so anyway, so we get to, um, so... He finally, and then she she does this very smart thing where, like, he gets himself out of the chains, and then he's like, you stay mm-hmm. here. I'll be back. Like, I don't want you to see what I'm going to have to do to get us out of here. And so he leaves and then, like, comes back. Yeah. She has a, does she have a moment with her? No, this is not where she has a moment with her mom. No, um, right. No, she goes to get like a battle axe and like a thing to pick the lock. Right, and, right. Yeah. So then he comes back. They're on the run. And this is another smart thing, like plot wise. He has broken into like the chief goblin's office and yeah. collected like elven, you know, bread for her to eat. Like there's, so now they have supplies. Food and supplies. Right, exactly. Great. Let's take that off the table. Like now they have packs and supplies. Yeah. Terrific. Um, and then he takes her, instead of taking her north to New York, he takes her deeper into other land. Right. Like, we um, can't go out the way we came. We have to kind of continue this way. And so he we're takes her into this, like, magical, like, basically into this, like, magic land. Yeah. And this is also the part where, like, she's never crossed into this land. Her mom thought it was too dangerous. And she is, like, feeling the effects of the magic on her. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, she doesn't even really know what she is. And so, 
she is also like really tied into like the land and like these feelings that she's having that she's mm-hmm. never had before. I want to. We're talking a lot about craft this episode, but whatever, we just are. I want to talk about the use of this land, too, like, pacing-wise. Yeah. So this is the challenge with um, road trip romances is that they they can fall into this, like, place where it's almost entirely plot, right? Like, we're we're moving from one place to the next, the next, the next, the next. And what you need in a romance— you don't need it in in other books as much, but in a romance, what you need is like a quiet moment to like take a beat and like have some internal growth, right? Um, which you cannot do when you are like fighting goblins and racing, right? You know, through whatever. So she's really smart because she slows time in the other land, right? Yeah. So there's this like magnificent lake and they're able to bathe and they're able to clean themselves and like have sex and like talk (laughs) yeah and she is able to and like with the magic of this space she's pia is able to interact with her mother like she finds while he like leaves to go do something get close like get some water or something like more firewood and then he comes back oh so and while he's gone from the clearing she's literally standing and she has this like mystical experience where she she's sleeping she's sleeping standing no she's sleeping she's having like a dream about her mom and when he comes back she's she's invisible almost invisible she's yeah like he tries to touch her and it like goes through her so he freaks out because she's trying to get to her mother yeah and then and now we start to see like how dangerous and the mother in the dream is like you can't stay here because people will hunt you yeah like once they know what you are yeah you got to get out and so, um, and she's like, but I want to come with you. And the mom is like, you can't come. And then she can hear Dragos calling yeah, like her. freaking out, right? Kind of being like, come back to me. And I think this is when we start to realize, I mean, he's been sort of saying like, you're mine. <laughs> but this is when we really realize like, oh, he means you're mine. Um, and he, I think, realizes it too, right? Well, like at first. Like pretty broken up by the idea that she might disappear. Yeah, absolutely. It is completely frightening to him so i think it's also you know i think also like again very character wise a very smart explicit way of showing like pia's loneliness happened her mom essentially died when she was a teenager and has left her on her own and no one knows who pia is pia doesn't know who she is she just like longs for someone who knows her in this way and so the part of the, like, the arc with her and Dragos that's so smart is that Dragos is someone who can help her understand who she is, literally, right now that her mother is gone. And who can, like, sort of shed some light on, like, some choices her mom made that actually are hampering Pia, right, instead of helping her at this point in her life. And I think it's... In that way, it's really funny because as reading it, I was like, it feels in that way almost like new adult in its, like, scope in the sense of here's someone, like, this is a book about, like, who am I? And, right? And I don't really yeah. think of, I think of, like, a lot of adult ram- romances being, like, who are we? Right? And a lot of, like, books with, like, younger characters is, right. like, who am I? Right. And so I think it's, like, really interesting to kind of come across that who am I, but not have it be about youth, right, or age. Yeah, she's having to discover herself. 
Yeah. It's interesting right? that you say this because the only other books that I can think of that are really like this, that really feel this way, are paranormals. The only yeah. other adult romances that I can think of, right? Like, uh, you think about McGreeve, right, where Chloe discovers that she's a succubus. Yeah. Or you think about um, the Black Dagger Brotherhood one where— like uh with with revenge where like Elena discovers like her power right. or butch then... right yeah and so i think yeah i think you're totally right and i think i wonder why paranormal i mean maybe that's why things like that's why paranormal romance is so compelling to a younger audience yeah maybe i mean and it's also really interesting though too because when we talk about the evolution of paranormal Right. I mean, like now we don't get a lot of books like this anymore. Right. We get like monster romance. But those aren't books about like, who am I? Like, that's just mm-hmm. a monster. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's what I mean. Even right. within the context of the larger series, those other books that I named, like they are the only yeah. one. Yeah. So it is. It's like a, it is. It's just in that sense of like a very interesting. An unusual kind of internal arc. Yeah. In some ways, I yeah. think. Right. Um. Because how can you, I mean, in order for it to work, your parents had to have keep a secret from you about who you are. It's almost right. like an adoption narrative in some right. ways, right? Right. Um, so something else that's happening here at the same time is she, we realize that Pia has been keeping a glamour on herself. Yes. Um, because when she is not holding the glamour, she glows. Yeah. <laughs> And she does this so instantaneously; it freaks her out when she slips. Like it's, yeah, she's been doing her, this her entire life. She never state slips. Is not glowing, right? And uh, she glows, and that's weird. And also, ever like Dragos is like, "Holy shit! Can we just? I want to watch you glow, yeah, forever." Which is really nice and a nice it's metaphor. Very sweet, I know. But anyway, so then the goblins return, and we are. In another state where suddenly it's like, oh, shit, They're, they can find us even here. And so we have to run again, leave the packs, leave everything. We're on our, it's just us against the world. And he's like, we are, and suddenly there is a battle scene that starts to feel very intense because, emotionally, because it is the two of them against what sounds like an army of baddies. Yeah. And so yeah, they're screwed because... Dragos can't shift. Like, if he can, if he could shift... It would be no problem, then right? He, it would be, I mean, not even a challenge. But he can't. And so they're basically like, we're screwed. Except Pia at this point is like, you have to trust me and you have to promise me you will not ask me anything about this. Yeah. But I'm going to do a thing. And then she... uh, he He cuts himself in the shoulder... She cuts her palm, and they do that, like, blood mixing thing. And her blood, which no one has been able to touch before because her mom said, don't do this, mixes with his, and suddenly— She charges him like a fucking battery. Yeah. It's like, boom. And suddenly, boom, dragon. And it's real fucking hot. Yeah. So he destroys everybody. He burns burns them to a crisp. Yeah. Like, fried goblin. Right. Um, Then makes a joke about eating a a fey horse. (laughs) And she is like, no, she asked him. And he was like, well, I was hungry. Does that make it better? And she's like, kind (laughs) of. It is so funny. It really is. Um, Uh, 
This and is then, like, it's clear, like, we have some serious, like, she has some serious magic. Like, yeah. we don't know what she is. We don't know what's going on here, but. Right. Right. It's big. And then they go, and then this is the greatest part, right? She has serious magic. So where are you going to go, everybody? Back to New York, right? Yeah. So then they just, like, get back to, to his, his place. Like, his, his lair. Which lair. is, like, a, the top a skyscraper. of Yeah. Yeah. Like, Tony Stark-like, I guess. Yeah. And, and he could, I like when he's like, you have two choices. You can ride or I can carry you. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> it really is. It really is. And then he carries, so she's like, I can't ride you. Like, it's too hard. I'm, I did that last night, big guy. <laughs> I'm too tired. And he's like, then I'll carry you. And he, like, picks her up in his big dragon claw. Yeah. And he carries you liked- like a King Kong joke that. You know, won't land for pe- certain people, but didn't yeah. land for me. If you liked um, the brief, Marvel had a brief flirtation with the idea of like S- Scarlett Johansson being with the Hulk, Black Widow, and there's a part where she calls him big guy, and it's like very reminiscent of this whole vibe. Yeah. So we didn't really talk about them having sex in the other lands or whatever. Um, I guess it's just like really interesting to me, like. They do it. It's just not a big deal. And they keep doing it throughout the book. It's great. They love it. They have great Yeah, they're everybody. just into each other. Yeah, like, right. real deal into each other. Yeah, Which right. is also very freeing. It's like, Right, exactly. Cool. Like, this that's not weird. We're yeah, just, this yeah. is just, yeah. So, so they go, wait, I don't know. I just found it very refreshing. Sometimes these books where that's like all of the drama about whether or not we should do it. I can no. just do it. It's great. They're like, what's wrong time. with doing it? Nothing. Yeah, absolutely nothing. nothing. Kids, get, get it. <laughs> so then... They get back to New York, though, and they're in his lair. And then we get the, like, princess, yeah. the Cinderella experience, right? Like, yeah. there's all this money. You, know, you can have whatever clothes you want. Here's, like, a wear mink yeah. who's going to come and, like, dress you. Be your personal shopper. And her clothes have all been moved from her apartment into his bedroom. And so yeah. now, like, his closet has, like, his stuff and her stuff. And she's like, wait, what's happening? And everybody else is like, wait, what is happening? Yeah. Right? Because Drago has never acted like this about a woman before. Yep. And then there is this great moment. So then she's taking, we don't know it, but like she's taking, like she's fighting. She's learning to fight with with his dudes, like his bros. And uh, I mean, I freaking love it. She, he walks into the sparring room and one of them has her in like a headlock or something, something, like some kind of hold. And the dragon... (laughs) Flips its shit. Yes. And goes for him and, like, puts him against a wall and, like, is going to rip the throat out of his, like, best friend in the world. Right, right. Who's a griffin. Sure. Griffins are also hot. I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just... Just casual chat. (laughs) So... um, So the dragon freaks out and then... um, and then Pia goes and, like, sort of slides in between them. Yeah, and talks him down. And talks the dragon down, which is... I mean, a real microtrope I enjoy. Oh, yeah. And it, they like, lean so hard into it. Oh, this whole just book. bringing like sanity back can, yeah. to a wild-eyed hero. Yeah. Perfection. And then the friend is like, oh, shit. I know what's happening here. Yeah. You're, You're mating. mating. Right. This isn't just like, yeah. And Dragos is like, I don't, uh, am I? I think that's the part that I all also, readers everywhere are like, yeah, yeah, dumbass. We know, we 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 know. That now you're in our territory, buddy. <laughs> um, I think the thing that I really like again about like the characterization here is he is 
so old and so used to just like everyone Love doing it. what he wants and him understanding intuitively everything that is happening that it is a joy as a reader to like see the way that Pia destabilizes him, right? I mean, but this is the joy of paranormal romance. It yes. Is. Like, yes. At, like at its best. Yeah. Paranormal is about the jaded hero who has seen everything and the like heroine who reminds him what it is to feel. Yeah. I mean, truly all good romance is this, but like paranormal is able to like dial it up. I mean, it's like morality chain, right? Like you're not human. You're a shifter. You're yeah. you have a different way of understanding the world and your experience in it. And now here's someone who's like, let me show you this thing. And it's very explicit. Like, he's like, I don't really know what love is, right? And she hears that and, like, takes it seriously. And at the end, it's kind of like, yeah, but you told me you didn't know what love was. But I know what love is because I am human. And I thought it was great. Like, I just found that whole breakdown of it. It's not like she was like, you're some dumbass. She was like, I understand that you don't know what that is. But I was raised by humans, and I know what it is. And I really thought that the it like like you said, just every trope that this book is yeah. like handling, it's handling at like the to- a plus level. right. Well, and as you as we talked about with the very beginning, when he goes and like in her dream is trying to compel her with the things she wants yeah. most in the world, she wants love. Like it, she understands it so well that it is her deepest yearning, and so it's just perfect. This week's episode of Fade and Mace is sponsored by Mila Finelli, author of Mafia Virgin. Oh, Jen, you love it. Uh, hello. Yes, I love it. So we, if everybody knows, I love this Kings of Italy series. This is book number five, and we get Emma, who is the twin of Gia. And she mm. is the good sister. She is back home in Toronto. She is going to take care of her sick father. In fact, um, her sisters don't know how sick her father is when all of a sudden she is forced to marry a stranger if to prevent all out mafia war. I'm sorry. I'm delighted by it. It's wrong. So she, um, is forced essentially like kidnapped more or less and forced to marry. Oh, how do you say his name? Giacomo. Giacomo. That's what I thought. Okay. Giacomo, who is, um, of course has wants nothing to do with this innocent, young, beautiful woman. Talk about a, you know, a hard nut to crack, similar to our current dragon here. Right. And he has essentially was never supposed to be in charge of his family, um, but his brother and his father were killed. And so now he, he's like been the brute force and now he's like running the show. Um, There is a lot of breeding kink with these two. Like he is just (laughs) like, it's like neither of them want it. They want to be together, but somehow it is like super hot, super sexy. Um, And of course it's all about keeping secrets uh, living that mafia lifestyle and how is Emma gonna like ever be a doctor if she's like his wife in Italy oh my god listen Mila knows the job yep this book is available in print ebook audiobook and with your monthly subscription to Kindle Unlimited thanks as always to Mila Finelli for sponsoring this week's episode what is even more perfect is when he like acknowledges that, like, she needs to learn to shift. 
Like yes. that her safe that he is he fears that her not being able to shift will be will make her less safe. Yeah. And um, he at this point has understood that her he was like, I think the protection skills spells your mom put on you are preventing you from shifting. Like he's kind of like breaking some bad news to her. Like I think in an effort to protect you, especially when you were young, your mom kind of hampered some of your abilities. And again, I also think the thing that's brilliant about this is like the uncovering of that is not, she's not like a bad person. It's not like, Mm -hmm. right? No, it's like she did it to protect you. And neither of them know what she is. So, like, there is sort of this sense of, like, we don't know why, but this happened. And I fear, and he's like, I can help you. Yeah. And what I love about this is he's basically like, I can't change the spells because it'll hurt you unless you tell me your name. Your but also, name. I don't want you to do that unless you are yeah. comfortable doing it. Yeah. It's such a shift character-wise from who he was. Like, it is the clearest way for yes. Harrison to show us how of how this character has evolved over the course of the book. Because yes. he is like, I know that the one thing I want most in the world is to keep you safe and give you access to all of your powers, right? Which will right. give that which will do that for you. But I also would never dream of manipula- manipulating you to the point where Right. I know your name before you're ready to tell me. When yeah. literally 15% of the way through the book, he was like grinding Don't. against her to say, <laughs> tell me your name. Right. 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 And, he, and then he promises, like, I will never harm you with it. Like, if you tell me, I promise. Right. I will never do that. But he still leaves it with her. Like, yeah. you get to decide. Yeah. And it's very, it's very great. Yeah. And it's so awesome. she does... And he's got, there are these, like, Griffin sentinels in the room. It's just two, his two most Well, they have to go to, a, like, an other land. Like, they yeah. fly somewhere to, you know, be out in the woods or whatever. And then yeah. he, like, removes the protection spells. And then she shifts. Yeah. And, and she this is if you have not, if you are planning and, to yeah. read this book and you do not know what she shifts into, it's kind of like, it is a great reveal, and so yeah. I would recommend, like, pause here, go read the book, and then come back, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah. But she's a unicorn. She's a unicorn. And yeah, everyone is like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, shit. Dragos, right? who has been alive since the beginning of time, yeah, is like, I swear to God, I thought these were not real. I thought unicorns were not real. Yeah. It's awesome. It's great. It's a great reveal. And she is, and the unicorn is terrified. Yeah, like, just, like, runs around, like, what am I doing? (laughs) What's happening? Like, oh, my God. Which does actually feels like, it feels like horses are high-strung, but, like, feels like unicorns must be, like, just on another level. (laughs) Yeah, like, search your own girl horses. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Um, So, uh... And then he's just like, he's just so kind to her. He's so yeah. gentle. Oh my god, yeah. it's very it has it has real like Lady Hawk vibes. Yes, like <laughs> Rutger Howard just like yeah. petting a hawk and whispering <laughs> to it. Listen, if you haven't, that's watched a deep that movie, cut, everybody. Yeah, it is. And I will tell you, I watched it a couple of years ago, and it remains great. So enjoy yourselves, everyone. That is a good Christmas. It's a good over the holidays movie. <laughs> it is not a Christmas movie, but you should yeah. definitely watch it with your with your family over the holidays. 
Um, anyway, so that's terrific. Yep. And, and then, then my favorite line in the whole book, because I really do love, um, oh, yeah. uh, I love Graydon, who's one of his yep. like Griffin sidekicks. And Graydon says, I thought you were just going to end up being something small, fast, and weird. <laughs> like a marmoset. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, so. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting because I, um, my favorite scene, my actually my favorite line and I am not typically one to, like, really key in to, like, that level, like, the sentence level stuff. I think it's because I was, um, I mean, you know, I was rereading. And I listened to some of it as I was working on a puzzle that was too hard for me. Um, let me find. But I really like the line where, um, and it's, like, back when they are in the, like, they've kind of escaped. They've escaped from the, um the goblins, right? Mm -hmm. And they're still kind of, like, out in the the forest or whatever, and she's fallen asleep. She's, like, says to him, like, I don't understand you, right? And and he thinks, maybe you will someday, just as soon as I understand myself. And then it's really interesting, because it's not really Dragos anymore, right? The dragon held her sleeping figure closer. He lowered his cheek to her head and looked around the clearing in bafflement, as if the quiet, peaceful scene could tell him who he was. Mm. And that's it. Like, Dragos is like, I am now learning who I am because I am with her, right? That's why it's mating and not just dating. Although, there's also a really funny part where he's like, am I a boyfriend? <laughs> like, listen, this book is so fucking funny. I really... It's I, really I, terrific. Yeah. It's terrific. Um. So then, like, then, of course, like, it it all wraps itself up. Like, there's, sure. you know. They have some, to fight off know, the evil. She's going to be hunted and, yeah. for the rest of her life. There's some drama with that. And, a, but, like, there is this moment, the shifting moment is really, like, yeah. so romantic in its own way. Like, he is so deeply protective of her. Mm-hmm. And it's really great. Can we talk about POV? Yes. Because... I don't know. I'm sure you noticed this, too. But, like, there is this very real, like, this sort of rule in modern romance, right? That, like, you can't shift POV within the chapter, within the scene. Like, there has to be a scene break, and then you shift characters. The Harrison does not ascribe to this rule. I don't think that rule is as old as we think it is. I mean, I think it's... In the past 10 years that that's happened, right? Yeah, but, like, I was writing by, by this point. In nine rules, was it chapter by chapter? It was scene by scene, yeah. So, okay. um, I think, and so, all, but here's what I want to say about this. I actually think she, but and the reason why, I think it's intentional. Yeah. And I think it is intentional that she does it in very specific scenes. Like, she does it in almost every sex scene. We shift. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I think, what I mean is, I don't, there was a time in the 80s and 90s where it was happening, like, Paragraph by paragraph. It was chaos. Sentence by sentence sometimes. Yeah. Chaos. (laughs) But now, like, and now it's so rigid. I mean, there are so many books where there's not even a second POV at all, right? So. um, Real shame, everybody. (laughs) I miss, I do miss heroes. But the, um, 
I think what she's doing here, she does it in the sex scenes mostly. I was noticing it. Mm-hmm. And it's because it sort of feels like she does that sort of Lisa Claypussy feel. There's a very yes. Claypus feel to these sex scenes where, because yeah. I always think of, of Lisa as being a tremendous, she writes a tremendous sex scene because by the end of it, you're not sure whose head you're in. Mm-hmm. Like it's so, they're so right. intertwined that, but Thea Harrison does not do that, but she is moving seamlessly back and forth between them. So you can really experience the scene emotionally from both characters. Right. And I really, really love it. And she does it really, she has a real dexterity when she does it. And so I recommend if you are a writer out there listening and you're like not sure about writing sex scenes, like you're still not sure you've nailed it. Uh, yeah. Um, Cute there. This is a good place for you to yeah. go. I think the other, the, okay, so back to the whole like road trip thing. Because the other thing that I thought was really well done about this book is... Right? Like, we talked about pacing. So, he finds her really fast, and then they're in the land of the goblins, and then they escape that, and then they're back in New York. And then it's, like, she has to learn how to shift, and then she's, like, back in New York. And you're kind of, like, it, you know, as a reader, you're kind of, like, well, okay, there's the lurking problem with the elven king out there, but, like, how, what's going to happen? And how is this going to, like, how are we going to make that not feel... I don't know, like overly dramatic. I'm not sure exactly how to say it, but it was like definitely like a, how do you get from, you know, we're hanging out in New York and I just need new shoes to him defeating this this bad guy. Um, and I think what's really interesting is, again, it's like I think an, an unusual choice, but one that works for me, which is once Pia has learned how to shift, she also like knows her body so much better. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. Big spoiler alerts coming, everybody. Um, and she has these dreams about a baby dragon and realizes that she's pregnant. And she is... Well, she realizes she's pregnant because she has a classic romance moment. She pukes. Oh, yeah. She pukes, right? Like that in the dreams. Or and then she's like, oh, like, no. <laughs> right. And at first, you're really... It's really interesting. You're not like, really quite sure why she's unknowing. Like, right? Like, so she is like, you said... She goes to her guards. You said you take me anywhere you want to. You need to take me to Brooklyn. I'll give you directions as we go. And this is like a real test. And it's one that Dragos passes where he's like, telepathically talk to her. Pia, what's going on? You said you wouldn't leave. And she's like, I'm not leaving, but I need to go check on something and I cannot talk to you right now. You just need to let me do it. And he kind of says, like, I could use your name. (laughs) She's like, you better fucking not. You promised me, right? You promised Mm. me. So it's this real sign of trust and what she wants to do is go to her doctor. And you're, again, like, not quite sure why it is a, like, five-alarm fire. And it turns out is she's has an IUD, and so she's worried that this will harm the baby. Mm-hmm. And so she's basically like, "There's no time to waste. You need to get me to my like, you know, wear doctor or whatever immediately." And this is where she's essentially kidnapped. Like this guy manages, you know, the bad guy manages to take out her guards and kidnap her, and um. You know, and, like, all of that works out fine at the end, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, she stands up for herself and stronger than she thought. Like, all the things that you want to happen, right? He, um, you know, kind of finds her and, you know, I mean, like, 
I was very satisfied with the way that all played out at the mm-hmm. end and also felt like it was like the logical conclusion to all of the like little bits and pieces that had been laying, laid out for us by the in the plot at the beginning, right? Like so we it's like that you know kind of at the end we fully understand like okay like here was how the plot was involved and she can't lie to him and you know so she has to be real cagey about everything. I mean and I just did. I found it to be a very satisfying, like, of course, on a road trip, and of course, with a bad guy, like, she's going to have to get kidnapped at the end. I don't know if that makes sense, right? So right. The, it, there's this interlude in New York where you're kind of like, okay, is this just going to end here? Is it just of course over? it's not, right? Yeah. And I think that that's, like, the part, that, like, respite of— Yeah, another like, moment where we yeah. pause and, like, it's an internal right. experience. For both of them. Yeah. Yeah. And then the and then the bad guy comes back and it all gets worked out. You know. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's actually really deftly handled at the beginning as you all know. I am not a fantasy reader in large part because I don't need all that extra nonsense. Like it's also why I don't read spies, right? Like I don't right. need all that extra nonsense. And so um and I think Thea really threads that needle here. Like, there is a kind of very clear external bad guy, the king of the Dark Fae, although justice for Dark Fae, I will always love her in the best (laughs) of every paranormal creature. You're crossing Um, streams. Exactly. So, but there is a king of the Dark Fae, and and we know, and, like, he sent the goblins after them, and, like, we know that he's sort of machinating in the background, and so, like, you can't just leave him. Right. Um, But the last... You know, the back, what, two-thirds of this book is largely internal. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, at, at some point, there's not really any internal conflict between Dragos and Pia. Like, they they, they like, know they love each other. They love each I mean, other, right? Gotta, there's a little you know, bit, whatever, but it's— I mean, yeah. But I mean, but really, it's like there's a Cinderella story. There's like yeah. a little bit of like there's you know sex at a lake. <laughs> there's all sorts of stuff going on. There's it's I destroyed really, everyone with my fiery breath. Yeah, and then there's all the discovery, like Pia's discovery of herself. Yeah, Dragos's discovery of how he too has changed. It's really lovely. It's a it's a real great book. It's a great book. It is a great read. Um, I did listen to part of it on audio. Um, uh-huh. I feel like it's really interesting. There's a conversation on the Discord about like kind of audio books that work for you or don't. I listened to quite a bit of it on audio because I was like busy this week and it's I can like read while I'm driving. Uh-huh. Um, this is like a case where it is a woman who's the narrator and I didn't find her voice for Dragos to be especially like compelling. Um, but it was good enough and I enjoyed it. And so, yeah. Okay. I mean, just in case people are like, should I read it on audio? I think the dragon part though, like in terms of like how to like wrap up like this episode or whatever, like it's like hugely otherworldly and dangerous, right? Like you're really talking about people who are like messing with the most dangerous thing you can think of, right? And so I think that that's like the big appeal, of like a dragon shifter as well. And I think the part that I really liked about this is it leans into a lot of other parts of like the dragon narrative, right? Like he's like, I'm possessive and like the things that are mine are mine. And there's a whole discussion at the end where he's kind of like, okay, we're going to like slim down my hoard and start to get rid of it and like sell off parts of it. And they're like, wait, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And then one of them tells Pia like, 
you are his horde now. Oh, I meaning, love it. Right? You've meaning been, you've replaced the horde. Yes, like you he does not want anything but you, right? Even though he's surrounded by precious things. And that is listen, it's real f- it's hot. Yeah, it's it great. Yeah, it was it great. I loved it. Yeah. I I think I would say I'd forgotten how funny it was. I, Me too. That was like one of my like I had such a ball reading it and I had forgotten that I think that's like the promise of the premise with a road man, a road trip romance too. Not the humor, but just like the sense of like things are really moving and it's you're going to interact with a lot of different people. You're going to see this whole world. I, it's a great way to start a series because you're kind of like laying the, okay, here's, here it all is. Yep. Um, there are, there is at least one novella about them again in the series. That's uh, right. Planet Dragos. They're married. She's pregnant for a another time. I don't know how many kids there are at this point. And then she gets kidnapped. <laughs> and sure. that's a big deal. Sure. And that's a novella. It's called Planet Dragos. Um, and then there's, of course, the Elder Races series is very long. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Eight or uh, nine books. I don't know how many. How many books? Nine. Nine, but like a bunch of them. Are, it's like nine point nine, yeah. nine point. Like there are so many. Well, and I don't know where you get all those because on Amazon it must be. You probably oh, are they all gone? Them. Well, on Amazon it's just like the books. It's not like the. I mean, like the similar thing happens when you look at side changelings, right? Like there's all these little novellas and stuff, but it's like kind of like digging them up and figuring out how to where, where to find them. Yeah, I bet if you go to her um, website, probably Thea's website, you can probably find everything you need. Yeah, but um, yeah. So that's the deal. Uh, I also want to say two things. At the very beginning, you said, can you think of other dragon shifters? And mm-hmm. I just did a quick search, and I just want to call out that the. It looks like the earliest, like, sort of modern, like, the earliest one that I could find was G.A. Aiken's Dragonkin series, which is actually, okay. I think, yeah. all dragon shifters. Now, G.A. Aiken is also Shirley Lawrenston. So, yeah. Um, so, and those were in 2004. And then Gina Showalter also has Heart of the Dragon, where the hero is a dragon shifter. So, if you are looking for other books where... Yeah. Uh, there are dragon shifters. Those, first of all, that Aiken series is an entire series. And then um, the show Walter will do the trick too. There are several holiday, uh, other, there's Dragos takes a holiday as well. There's a couple oh, of these little ones. Fun. I might read that for the, the Christmas episode, the holiday Ooh. episode. I think he just needs a vacation. I think it means like the Bermuda Triangle pirates. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I love it. Um, he's hunting for treasure because, of course, because obvious. Because why wouldn't you? He's a dragon. He just feels it. He has no, he's choice. like a built-in like those people on the beach with metal detectors. That's his whole his whole personality, practically. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, um, so that is Dragonbound. Tell us uh, what you thought of the book. Uh, at you can leave a comment at fatedmates.net. You can tell us on Instagram at fatedmates or no on Instagram at fatedmatespod or on Twitter at fatedmates. Um, I'm Sarah McLean. I'm here with my friend Ben Prokop. Remember, you can buy the Fatedmates Best of 2023 book box for pocketbooks. Learn more at fatedmates.net slash pocketbooks, or uh, you can join us on the Discord. 
uh, learn more at uh, fadedmates.net slash Patreon. You can also tell us about whatever sexy holiday romances you're reading right now over there. Shout them out next week for you. Exactly. Um, And uh, don't forget that if you stay tuned right now, you will hear an audio excerpt of Rochelle Weinstein's What You Do To Me. Uh, Thanks again to Rochelle and all of the sponsors for sponsoring this week's episode. Prologue. Miami Orange Bowl. September 28th. 1991. September in Miami was blistery hot, but Sarah shivered at the first notes of the familiar song. The crowd around her stilled in her near reverence, quieting for what they all came to hear. Though the song had played countless times on the radio, it was magic when performed live in a stadium crammed with adoring fans. Sarah knew that every girl imagined the famous lyrics were written for her. They imagined being loved like that by him. She watched as he cradled the microphone, remembering his hands on her face, remembering her name on his lips. I'm right here if you get lonely. He had once whispered those words in her ear. Close your eyes. Listen to my voice. Watching him perform, she felt the overwhelming feelings return. She imagined surprising him, telling him she couldn't live without him, that it didn't matter that they were from different worlds or what she'd have to give up. She loved him. And the way he sang their song, she knew he still loved her too. As he sang the last words, what you do to me, he looked her way. And though she knew he couldn't see past the bright lights of the stadium, she thought she saw a look of recognition flicker across his face. She smiled back. Until she heard screams. And everything went black. Chapter One Leave On by Elton John, New York, 2023. Cecilia James takes her seat in the crowded ballroom, already thinking about the next big story. Tonight's about the past, but she's always been steps ahead. As the magazine's founder introduces her, highlighting Cecilia's notable career at Rolling Stone, making her feel a lot older than 53. She replays the conversation she had in the elevator with Chris Martin about his yet-to-be-released single, Lily of My Dreams. Lily is not Dakota Johnson, Martin's girlfriend, and Cecilia's intrigued, making a mental note to contact his people. This inquisitiveness, the inherent need to understand every song, every story, has made Cecilia Rolling Stone's darling. Decades ago, at 26, she discovered a career gold mine when a chance encounter sent her on a quest to find the woman who inspired What You Do To Me, the hugely popular love song by the band High Tide. The song topped music charts and broke records, but it was also personal for Cecilia. 
Desperate to unearth the truth and prove herself, Cecilia broke the story behind the hypnotic track, resulting in one of the magazine's most popular columns, Backstory. And tonight, she's being honored with an award. Not the lifetime achievement. Something less, your career is nearly over, and more, we're ready for even greater things from you. Tonight, Cecilia will receive the Rolling Stone Spotlight Award. For two decades, Cecilia's backstory column has revealed the secrets behind songs, brought muses and lovers and strangers together, and at times pulled them apart. Although What You Do To Me didn't have a specific name in its title, it was written for someone, and the magazine ran with the concept. She smiles when some of her favorites are mentioned, glancing at her former boss, Joan. There was the most romantic love triangle of all time, Clapton's Layla. The one with the bold twist, the kinks, Lola. And the more obscure but provocative, Rhiannon. Guests and industry insiders chant Cecilia's name. And the applause carries her toward the stage, where she takes her place behind the podium. Wearing the sapphire dress she carefully chose for the occasion, she trained her eyes on the teleprompter narrowing in on a story of passion and purpose. Her story. Music has occupied Cecilia's life from the day she was born. It had been a solve, providing comfort and the right words when her own fell short. And while her columns entertain readers, they leave her with the most important lessons of all, recognizing the many sides to a single story and how relationships in their countless forms are about letting others in, letting go, and trust. The room is dark except for the spotlight on her face, and though it should warm her, she feels cool and charged. Her words drown out the faint tinkling of silverware, and when the ballroom door opens and closes, the sharp latching sound stops her heart. He's here. She knows it's him. He always knows when to make his presence felt. He stands, listening, and a calm seeps through Cecilia's skin. She takes her eyes off the teleprompter and glances in his direction. Who knew the impact that song would have on any of us? She raises the glass of water hidden in the podium to her lips. Pardon me, even I get choked up by my stories. The man doesn't move. He simply waits in the back of the room. A shadowy figure she can't see clearly, but she knows every line on his face, the glint in his eyes. He's the reason she's on this stage. He's the reason she stumbled across that first story, the one that launched her career. She had to lose him to find herself, and now here he is. She's giving her speech, the audience rapt. But Cecilia is somewhere else, somewhere with him. Remembering the day when everything changed. Chapter 2, Amanda, by Boston, Los Angeles, September 1996. Cecilia James sat in her cubicle in Rolling Stone's Century City office scrutinizing a column on Tupac Shakur for inaccuracies and grammatical errors. The piece, slated to run on Halloween, 
more than a month since Shakur had been shot in a drive-by shooting in Las Vegas, was already causing a stir. As the industry grappled with his tragic death, my office, two o'clock, Cecilia's boss and managing editor, Joan, had said when she arrived that morning, tossing Cecilia the crisp pages. The writer, a seasoned professional, didn't need Cecilia's amateurish markup, but read-throughs were part of the job. Cecilia didn't mind, not when she worked for the legendary magazine, one that once had allowed only men on its masthead. Granted, she wasn't on the masthead. But she knew that would come. Cecilia lived obsessively in the orbit of Rolling Stone. It was the only magazine her parents had ever subscribed to. And she fixated on the glossy images and mysterious faces. While other children read Green Eggs and Ham and Curious George, Cecilia flipped through the magazine's pages, sinking into its allure. As soon as she learned to read, she lost herself in the tales of war and politics and rock and roll. And what she couldn't yet understand, her father explained. The quote taped to her desk from an article featuring the Clash's Mick Jones served as a reminder of the magazine's vital influence. Jones said that people needed less fighting and more dancing. If there was ever a time Cecilia understood the power of music... It was then. Music had the ability to change the world. Cecilia relished the magazine's synergy. Each issue captured the essence and evolution of music and pop culture. A Bible of trivia and facts that spoke to generations. The business was known at times for its scandalous reputation. Wild parties and glamorous settings that induced celebrity bad behavior. It was easy for anyone to get caught up. Cecilia had snorted a line of cocaine with members of a squeaky clean boy band, who remained unnamed, and resisted the temptation to fall into bed with a man twice her age and his sexy girlfriend, because she loved Pete, would never betray Pete. She knew better than to let recklessness derail her. Cecilia planned to be a star. Not like her idol Stevie Nicks. But she'd find a way to inhabit Stevie's world. And then she'd write about it. Cecilia's lucky break came after serving as the magazine's lowly intern. Fetching coffee, picking up dry cleaning for photo shoots, Booking reservations at Matsuhisa or the Ivy when VIPs swept through town. At the time, she'd been in the office, thumbing through the hot-off-the-presses August 25th, 1994 issue, with the Rolling Stones on the cover. A.J. Farrell, a highbrow writer from the New York office, was visiting at the time, and she had landed on one of his articles. She calmly pointed out to A.J. that he had used the phrase, kick a gift horse in the mouth, rather than, look. AJ immediately pounced. That's a misprint. I never said that. The two had a heated exchange. With AJ so angry, his head practically spun off his body, spitting out, you're a fucking intern, Cecilia. You don't know a thing about writing. I know it's, look, a gift horse in the mouth, not kick, Cecilia said. By then, the entire office had paused to take in the scene. 
No one had ever dared to argue with AJ. This was a first. Not only did AJ back down, but AJ also never visited the LA office again. After that, Cecilia was promoted from minimum wage intern to able to quit her waitressing job, editorial assistant. Hunched over her desk, Cecilia finished editing the Shakur article, pitch perfect with an unbiased take on a complicated life. She admired the writer's skill, how he managed to juxtapose the imperfect man plagued by arrests and gang violence against a gifted musical legend. And she wondered if she would ever capture a story so eloquently. Setting the pages aside, she appraised the mounting stacks on her desk, wondering if she'd ever get through them all. Her Philofax lay open to the date her father had last called. Aunt Denise had died and Don wanted to talk. Cecilia had refused to respond, hardly saddened by her aunt's passing. She was Cecilia's last guardian. Nothing more than an uninterested babysitter. But Cecilia knew she'd have to face this. Face him. Cecilia whispered the words, let it go. Reminding herself she worked for one of the greatest magazines in the world. Over the course of a few years, she'd done shots with Steven Tyler, sang karaoke with the cast of Friends, and brought Anthony Kiedis a roll of toilet paper in the company bathroom. She worked at Rolling Fucking Stone. So why did Don James make her doubt herself? Cecilia would always remember her first day at the magazine. She had stepped off the bus on Century City's Avenue of the Stars, fresh out of CSU Northridge, with a stack of daily sundials in her leather portfolio from when she'd been editor and she marched toward the sleek building. Dressed in the brand new Doc Martens she'd saved up for weeks to buy, she'd paired the shoes with a flowery baby doll dress and black leather jacket, a nod to Courtney Love. It was Rolling Stone magazine. She couldn't show up in a boring suit and loafers. When she neared the building's entrance, she studied her reflection in the exterior glass. Brushing her blonde hair off her face, she slipped a wispy strand behind her ear and smeared another coat of MAC vamp on her lips. The image whispered confidence, though her brown and gold-flecked eyes hinted at her youth. A dash of self-doubt. But after she stepped through the lobby and entered the 31st floor reception, Cecilia whispered to herself, You're Cecilia fucking James. You were born for great things. Cecilia Caroline James had entered the world a week past her due date on May 30th, 1970. The same week Ray Stevens's Everything is Beautiful captured the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100. Cecilia's parents were music aficionados, and they named their screaming infant after the Simon and Garfunkel song and Neil Diamond's Sweet Caroline stamping her early on with musical greatness. Theirs was a rhythmic family, with tuneful sounds running through their Hollywood Hills home like another child. Music was everywhere at once, scurrying around corners, impossible to evade, playful and seductive. Rock and roll albums crammed the shelves, Joplin, Dylan, 
and Cecilia and her parents would jam to the words, holding their pretend microphones. Friends packed their incense-filled living room, and it was always Cecilia's parents dancing in the very center, swaying in each other's arms. It was no wonder that Cecilia had equated music with happy endings. Cecilia's mother, Gloria, was a free spirit, a golden-haired hippie who glided into a room smelling of Charlie in hip-hugging bell-bottom jeans and striped half-tops that revealed her flat stomach. She was a kaleidoscope of color, fleeting, ethereal. Cecilia would cringe when Gloria and Don reminisced about how she'd been conceived at Woodstock when they were just teenagers. But deep down, she loved the story. Gloria, when she wasn't flitting around their house like a luminous spirit, sometimes gave piano lessons to the neighborhood children, while Cecilia's father taught voice, guitar, and music theory and composition at a local university. Don James was larger than life. Tall and handsome with thick, wavy blonde hair. He and Cecilia had a secret language, speaking in verse, sharing their favorite lyrics. And in lieu of bedtime stories, he'd tuck Cecilia into bed, strumming songs by James Taylor, Carol King, and Fleetwood Mac. And when she couldn't sleep, they'd stare into the night sky and count the stars. To Cecilia, music was not just meant to be heard. It was meant to be felt. She felt it like a whispery breeze. Tender and carnal, melodies were hands caressing her skin, tapping on deep-seated emotions. And when her parents went out, she'd invent stories behind the songs, detailing them in her diary, real-life interpretations with imaginary characters. That way, she never felt alone. Cecilia had once believed her father's voice had magical powers. She thought its tenor could chase away evil, that the rhythm could save her from life's curveballs. He was the trusted harmony, able to steady them or coax them out of any moody funk. So when Dawn left Gloria for Tori, the girl who worked behind the counter at Tower Records on Sunset Boulevard, Cecilia's world turned upside down. From that day forward, music became the paradox in her life. It brought joy, and along with that, a hell of a lot of pain. Slamming the Philofax shut, Cecilia leaned back in her chair. This was what memories did to her. They snuck in, menacing and distracting. She shook off the anger and turned her attention toward the stacks of unfinished work. But all she could think about was whether to call Don back. Cecilia had saved his message on her office voicemail. She didn't need to play it again. She could recite it verbatim. Cecilia, honey, it's your dad here, Don. Because she needed clarification. You're 25, not a child anymore, which is actually hard for me to believe. Anyway, we should be able to talk like civilized adults. About your Aunt Denise, about, well, a lot of things. 
Please call me. We really need to talk. Yes, she thought. We should talk. About the fact that you don't know I'm 20 fucking six. Don was nothing if not a sore spot in Cecilia's life. One day he was serenading them with Dreamweaver, and the next he was weaving dreams around Tower Records' Tory. Cecilia was 13 at the time, and Don starting a new family and a new job across town was catastrophic for an already awkward teenager. Their visits were prearranged and scheduled, and eventually the calls dwindled. The cancellations became more and more frequent. Gloria hated Don with a venomous passion that sent vinyl records through the air, cracking them in two. So when Daphne, Cecilia's babysitter, agreed to move in, her presence smoothed out the wrinkles, organized some of the chaos. Cecilia loved Daphne, and the nights when Gloria crashed early or stayed out late, Cecilia would crawl under Daphne's covers, and the two would watch TV until Cecilia fell asleep. And then her mother died. 16-year-old Cecilia was devastated and furious. All she could think to herself was, how could she? How could Gloria leave me with Dawn and that woman? Music, once Cecilia's refuge, became a betrayal. In those harrowing weeks following her mother's death, when songs reminded her of happier times, she flung the notes through the air, forbade them from getting close. Music was the reason her family was torn apart, and she shuffled through the days in stubborn silence, until one of her teachers asked the class the origins of their names, and Cecilia remembered the rock stars who had inspired hers, and the musical mark her parents had bestowed upon her. After her mother died, Cecilia's Aunt Denise moved in and Daphne moved out. Aunt Denise was a cold, angry woman who spoke in endless streams of consciousness. Cecilia began turning up the volume on Kiss FM to drown out Aunt Denise's voice. And the music snuck back in. Soon she returned to writing, spinning words around so they danced like glitter across the page. She wrote of the songs she heard, dreaming up stories behind the lyrics, edgy and hopeful. And slowly, very slowly, music crept into the jagged pieces of her heart. And when she began to soften, welcoming her old friend, she forgave. She forgave the sounds for reminding her of what she'd lost. And she forgave the way music made her feel something others could not. Cecilia James gave herself over to music again. And though she missed her mother's laughter and her father's devotion, the hopefulness showed her a way to go on. She couldn't replace Gloria, but with music, she could replace Don, just as he'd replaced her. Cecilia let out a faint sigh. She had long ago resigned herself to the fact that Don James wasn't the man she had thought him to be. He was not some knight in shining armor. Their relationship hung by a flimsy thread. So delicate, it was nearly imperceptible. 
So Cecilia had invested her energy in her career, planting seeds, developing roots, and learning everything she could about the industry. Managers and publicists described her as an old musical soul, an encyclopedia of musical trivia. She was invited to all the best parties, received stacks of promotional CDs and concert tickets to any show she desired. But Don James always had a way of stealing a piece of her sunshine. Reaching for the framed photo on her desk, she gazed at her mother, who was laughing into the camera, one arm draped around Cecilia's thin shoulders. If her mother were still alive, she would be thrilled for Cecilia. Gloria James celebrated every life event, every milestone. Birthdays were grand occasions involving dancing on tables and glimmery disco balls. But so were rainy days and trips to the mall. She would have shown up at Cecilia's office unannounced in her giant sunglasses, carrying a bouquet of colorful daisies. She would have passed around a joint, talked to anyone with an earshot about Woodstock and how Cecilia had been conceived there. Today, that story seemed less cringeworthy. God, how she missed her. As though sensing the ache, Cecilia's desk phone lit up, the ringing bringing her back to life. She picked up to hear her best friend, April, talking a mile a minute about her son and his bodily functions, and wondering if Cecilia had called Don back yet. You and my sperm donor of a father should think about joint mommy and me classes, Cecilia said, attempting to revive the dying orchid on her desk with a can of day-old cherry coke. Your sisters are 11 and 9, Cece. Half-sisters, she reminded April. A sound behind Cecilia prompted her to turn, and Dean from office services appeared. She cupped her hand over the phone. Not now, Dean. Special delivery. He waved the interdepartmental envelope excitedly. We need your John Hancock. His emphasis on a certain part of the male anatomy was impossible to miss. Hold on, April, Cecilia said, as Dean sashayed into her crowded space, stopping to greet the wilting orchid. Poor guy, he whispered loud enough for Cecilia to hear. She has no heart. Dropping the delivery on her desk, he pointed as though she hadn't seen the line waiting for her signature. Scribbling her name, she apologized to April while Dean hovered. What do you want, a tip? Scoot. Dean shuffled away, but not before shaking his butt and blowing a kiss in her direction. Cecilia tossed the envelope on her ever-growing pile and returned to her friend. That was when the anger burst through. Why now, she said. He had years to make this right. The only response she heard was the sound of a baby suckling. Sometimes I think I imagined it. Don being super dad. Don't you remember? I remember everything, April said. Baby Arthur burping in the background. She sighed as she asked the nanny, who surely had a higher salary than Cecilia, to take Arthur upstairs for his nap. You can't have it both ways, Cecilia. You can't hate the man, blame him for everything that's gone wrong for you, and then expect him to be this upstanding father. April wasn't wrong. But if Cecilia had a kid, she never would have let the relationship unravel. She would have fought vigorously, no matter the circumstances. Talk to him, Cecilia. See what he has to say. Find out the big Aunt Denise news. 
Maybe he'll surprise you. It was the patronizing tone she used whenever Cecilia ventured down the rabbit hole of father fault. Aren't you tired of blaming your dad for everything? You can't call him a dad. That's an insult to every decent father. April ignored her. Listening to you is exhausting. Nothing changes. You're acting like your mother. Don't you dare, Cecilia said. You know it's true. All that anger killed her. Gloria James had died of an aneurysm. Because Don James made her crazy. She held on to all that stuff, Cecilia, and you know it made her sick. Cecilia shook her head. Pete says... Cecilia stopped her. No, April. Pete's off limits. He's a good one, and you're going to lose him, April said. You should talk to someone. April's idea of help was a high-priced therapist Cecilia couldn't afford. Hating Don James was so much more effective and satisfying. You've been together six years, April said it like it was a curse. I met and married Will in less than that and had a kid. Then she threw in the doozy. You're not getting any younger. Cecilia spit up the metallic-flavored soda she had been sharing with a dying orchid. Flashes of her mother appeared, along with the last thing she'd said to Cecilia that fateful night. She would have preferred Gloria's final words to have been extraordinary, something valuable to one day pass down to her imaginary children. But the words were remarkably unexceptional. They'd been lounging in Gloria's bed, wrapped casually in each other's arms. Gloria yammering about some Joan Collins drama on Dynasty, which somehow turned into a memory of Don and Woodstock. Gloria was tired that night. She began reminiscing, fingers stroking Cecilia's hair, going on and on about her ex-husband. Her eyelids fluttered and her words began to slur. We were so in love, Cece. Best sex I ever had was in Woodstock with your daddy. Then you came along. I was 20, baby girl. Make babies while you're young. And that was that. Gloria nodded off to sleep. Cecilia covered her with a blanket and kissed her on the forehead, retreating to her room and her music. And sometime during the night, the aneurysm hit, and 36-year-old Gloria never woke up. In the days following her death, Cecilia racked her brain for those final words. And here was April, plucking them out, reminding her that she hadn't granted her mother her dying wish. April carried on her monologue about how Cecilia would never find someone else like Pete, someone so willing and loyal warning her that if she missed their upcoming trip, if she pulled some work-related stunt, if she didn't stop being so hostile, he would leave too. When Cecilia didn't respond, April stopped. Are you listening to me? She was not. She'd just torn open the envelope Dean had left her, and she stared at a plane ticket in her name to Miami.
At the same time, her computer announced, You've got mail. And she saw Pete's name. Passports. Today, 3 p.m. I have to go, she said to April, quickly ending the call. The ticket could mean only one thing, and she felt a tingling in her chest. It was finally happening. Rolling Stone was sending Cecilia Caroline James on her first official assignment. This was why Joan had called today's meeting. Cecilia bristled with excitement. But then another email appeared. This is really happening. The passport agency, shit. She glanced at the time. Her meeting with Joan was at two. On a normal day, she could cancel the appointment or postpone, but not today, not now. Pete would be apoplectic. Their trip was fast approaching, and skipping the renewal of their passports was not an option. The image of Pete's worried face prompted a response, and she typed on the keyboard, I'll be there. She wasn't entirely sure how, but she would try.